With Virginia and Virginia Tech both seeing their losses mount on the football field, let's be thankful basketball season is here. We'll get into that and betting tips from Mike Sveditz of Front Page Bets this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 96 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, happy election day to you. Happy election day and happy college basketball season, more importantly. Yeah, especially for us, our our colleagues in the newsroom, uh, they get the thrill of election day. We've got the thrill of maybe getting a break from some of this dreadful football. Uh, But first, if you're listening to this and it's Tuesday and you haven't had a chance yet, get out and vote. That's obviously very important. David, uh, the Teal family, is there any election day traditions? Do you... We always walk up to the school because it's here in the neighborhood and kind of vote as a family. Do you guys uh, get into anything for Election Day? We do not. I voted a couple weeks ago, actually. Yeah, well, there you go. And that's been a, been one of the nice trends is to be able to do that, get it out of the way so that uh, if your random Tuesday happens to get away from you, your voice is still heard. So uh, my wife is volunteering at the school bake sale today at the election. So we'll nice. we'll spend a little extra time up there. And, and of course, uh, they, they usually have the... You know, we get the I voted stickers and, and the kids get the future voter stickers. So that's a little something to look forward to. David, we finally have something to look forward to because basketball's here. Uh, we're going to get into all the football. Don't worry. We're going to get there today. But uh, the season started for Virginia, for Virginia Tech, around the country for college basketball. So let's start off there so we can start things on a more positive note. And David, both of our, our, our teams here, Virginia, Virginia Tech, started their seasons on a positive note. Uh, where do you want to begin this discussion? Well, you were in Charlottesville last night, and lo and behold, in the second half, the Cavaliers found themselves in a battle against North Carolina Central. Yeah, it was a little wild. I mean, I, this is a schedule that was designed to challenge this team. I don't know that the opener against North Carolina Central was supposed to be part of that challenge. Uh, they've got a lot of ranked games looming ahead, but uh, give credit to, to North Carolina Central. I thought they did some good things attacking the pack line. Uh, and give credit to Virginia. You know, it was interesting. They uh, end up going down by a point there uh, in the second half and really respond. They go on a 15-2 to two run. And Caden Shedrick told us after the game, he, he said essentially, hey, I don't know if we would have responded that well last year. I don't know if last year's team could have done what this year's team did in terms of absorbing that and then taking over the game. So positive sign there, positive sign with the three-point shooting. Uh, certainly the night Armand Franklin had, uh, his teammates say he's just a more confident, more comfortable player. He, he admitted as much. He said, hey, last year I was new to Virginia. I was new to Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. I was new to my teammates, my coaches. Uh, now I'm comfortable. And, and 21 points, he certainly looked the part. I thought I mean, overall, uh, the the drama there in, in the second half aside, a pretty encouraging opening opener for uh, the Cavaliers. How about Big Poppy? Yeah, productivity in just ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's we, we've talked a lot, you know, you and I on and, and off this pod about what they're going to do with the rotation because of the depth they've had. Uh, and and last night it was Isaac McNeely who, if you guys haven't read uh, David's column on on Isaac McNeely, that's still available on Richmond.com. The super talented freshman guard. Uh, he was the first guy off the bench, David. Mm-hmm. Um, first one they went to, Ben Vanderplas, the transfer from Ohio. He was the second off the bench and the first big man. But uh, 
Poppy only saw 10 minutes and had big time production in those minutes. Tony Bennett's going to have a little bit of a, a good, in a good way, a challenge juggling all this talent. He really is. And he, he has said that, uh, you know, some nights it'll be this seven or eight and perhaps other nights it'll be a different seven or eight. And I imagine that starting five is going to remain consistent with, with the veterans. But as, as for the reserves, I think it's going to be a coaching staff feel based on matchups. McNeely was one for four from three. He's a guy they're hoping can can really add to their outside pop. But more importantly, David, the the amount of minutes he played shows you the level of trust that Tony Bennett has in that kid, especially defensively. Defensively, exactly, Mike. You're not getting on the floor if he doesn't believe you can be where you're supposed to be in the pack. To me, that's the most encouraging part of McNeely's night. No question. And as... You know, folks who followed McNeely's recruitment out of Poco, West Virginia, are perhaps familiar with that high school program plays the the pack line because the coach is is a longtime fan of Dick Bennett and Tony Bennett and adopted the pack line as his own. So Isaac McNeely is no stranger to these defensive principles that, that Tony Bennett is teaching. Yeah, McNeely played 23 minutes last night, and, and again, that's uh, an indicator of the confidence level the coaching staff has in him. thought it was interesting that, that uh, Armand Franklin, who again had a great night, and some of this is riding the hot hand, uh, Kihei Clark, who's a fifth-year senior and a veteran, but those guys each played over 34 minutes. Uh, one of the things Tony Bennett has talked about is riding guys like Clark and Franklin and Beekman a little too much minute-wise last mm-hmm. year. With all the depth, I was expecting to see a a little more rotation there at those spots. Those two guys logged a lot of minutes, I thought, in the opener. Well, if it's an opener that's super competitive, as last night's was was teetering on, then you, you can see it. But in terms of an entire season, are those kinds of minutes sustainable? Mm. Well, we'll see how good a strength coach Mike Curtis is, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would think there'll be a little more uh, relief in, in some games, and you're right. I think it was the, the tight nature of it. it. It was interesting also, David, Jaden Gardner only played 19 minutes. Uh, he didn't have a field goal. He had nine rebounds. He was very active. He, he did um, some good things, but the offense didn't run through him the way it did a year ago. A year ago, that that was where it sort of started and ended for Virginia offensively. They weren't a great outside shooting team. It's interesting to see if, if whether or not it's just a you know one night, one off kind of for Gardner, or if he has moved from being the focal point of the offense to more of a afterthought might be too strong, but I think you take my meaning that uh, he's not in the center of things. It didn't appear at least in the opener. Well, he was their leading scorer a year ago, Mike, and I'll be very surprised if he does not return to being perhaps maybe not the focal point of the offense, but he's going to be an integral part of what Virginia does on that end of the floor. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. He's a very versatile scorer. They, they didn't use him and Ben Vanderplas on the floor together much. There were a few minutes. Um, that's going to be interesting and, and something I've been looking at is how do they play off each other? How do they play together? 
uh, in the opener, they basically substituted for each other. Gardner came out, Venderplas came in. Um, they both played the power forward spot. They play it very differently. At times, Virginia went with a smaller lineup. We've got a lot of versatility w- with this roster. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, they certainly were encouraged by their outside shooting. Meanwhile, in Blacksburg, speaking of being outside shooting, outside shooting, 14 for 28 from three. Yep. Uh, just a huge night outside for the Hokies and their win over Delaware State. And Grant Basile, the, the transfer from Wright State, 30 points and 10 rebounds. I expected him to be good and certainly be an impact player. I don't know if I was looking for that kind of production from him. Well, Mike Young said that they were going to be much, much deeper on the interior than a year ago. And he was not kidding. Uh, because even without Justin Mutz last evening, he was out for a, one of those one-game NCAA suspensions because he competed in Boo. some some pre-draft thing that Boo. was that wasn't approved. I mean, you got to be kidding me! It's such a joke, right? It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but. You know, Lynn, Lynn Kidd fills in the the McClemson transfer fills in for Mutz. He goes for eight and ten. Poteet, the transfer from Rice, he goes for nine and four. And then Basili, you know, thirty and ten. Uh, that's that's strong stuff. I think he was six for eight from three. And then Padula made a bunch of threes and had eight assists. Uh, when the Hokies shoot fifty five percent, they're not going to lose much. Yeah, it's Basili was twelve for sixteen from the floor, six for nine from three, nine, okay, ten rebounds, the thirty points, and you know, for me, I looked at this team, and I'm pretty high on Virginia Tech, but it was how do you replace Keve Aluma? How do you replace that kind of point production? Um, and again, it's it's certainly one night, but. Thirty points in twenty-five minutes for the transfer from Wright State. That certainly makes me feel a little bit better. And you mentioned they were without Mutz. We still haven't seen Rodney Rice, Rodney the, Rice. Very, uh, the injured but very talented uh, incoming freshman. Um, he's got a chance to be just a, a huge weapon for them. So I think this team um, is just scratching the surface of what it can be offensively, which is pretty impressive to say when you put up ninety-five points in the opener. And D- Darius Maddox with a very solid first career start, shot it well, very efficient, uh, a-, a lot to like, albeit you know against against Delaware State. And then you know to, to follow up, it, it'll I'll be interested to see. I believe it's Friday when they play Thursday or Friday when they play Lehigh in their second game there at Castle because Lehigh played Syracuse <laughs> last night. So you know immediately Mike Young has tape of his next opponent having played an ACC team. So I think that helps the Hokies prepare. And I'll be be curious, you know, the transitive property doesn't work in sports. <laughs> but still, to, to see Lehigh against a second consecutive ACC opponent, Syracuse cuffed him around pretty well last night. Bayham's bunch went for 90 points. Let's see how the Hokies do. Yeah, if they go for 90-plus again uh, on Thursday night against Lehigh, that's going to be uh, uh, an impressive early result. And again, all of this is early. Uh, Virginia Tech probably not really tested uh, until, I guess, maybe the second game down in Charleston, potentially against Penn State. Uh, that, that could certainly be be a challenge. Uh, Minnesota, they have in, the, in this year's uh, 
ACC Big Ten Challenge, but it might not be until uh, December 4th, right, when they host the number one team in the nation, North Carolina, who uh, also got off to, to a winning start. Uh, same for Virginia, right? There, there's some big tests out there, but uh, there's some, some little bit easier games to ease into things. No doubt. Uh, one team that did not ease into things, Mike, last night was Florida State. Oof. Now, hey, I get it. Only eight scholarship players available. We've already banged on the NCAA once in our opening segment here. But the association's 16-game suspension of Baba Miller, Florida State's 6'11 stretch four from Spain, is beyond the pale. And it was a plane flight. It was reimbursed. I mean, it is so punitive and you just you have absolutely no sympathy for the NCAA when it gets banged around in the courts and banged around in public opinion because they absolutely deserve it and here's undermanned Florida State I mean they were down 18 points at home to Stetson last night and end up losing by nine you know Leonard Hamilton hangs his hat on defense and they got shredded yeah and the good news for the ACC that was the only loss right. on opening night for the conference and, and there certainly were mitigating uh, circumstances there but I hope opening score and um, there were a few other scores that were at moments kind of like the Virginia game Mm -hmm. uh, at moments a little tighter Um, there was a stretch early in the Duke game where where you thought "Uh (laughs) uh-oh what kind of a debut for Shire is this going to be obviously it turned out just fine uh, for the Blue Devils and and their super talented uh, freshman class in particular Uh, but uh, overall I think the ACC came out of night one uh, feeling like it's on the right path in its mission to to change the narrative and and not have a non-conference slate that that buries it for the rest of the year exactly long long way to go but an encouraging opening night yeah so we go from the encouraging David to the downright discouraging and back to football because as always I'm looking out my window and, and the leaves are falling and it is still football season so we can't get away from talking about Virginia Tech UVA on the gridiron Virginia Tech they lose their sixth in a row Falling to Georgia Tech, and, and David for the second straight game and third time this year, uh, they blow a lead. They blew a 11-point fourth-quarter lead against Georgia Tech. You know, this coming on the heels of blowing an 18-point second-half lead against NC State. There's something about this defense, David. They look great at times, but they don't seem to have the DNA to finish things out. They do not, and neither does the offense. I mean, it's it's a it's a team-wide thing, Mike, and you know, just a rub salt in it for for tech fans it's only the second time in more than 120 years of college football in blacksburg that tech has lost back-to-back games by a point and they just uh i i think when things get tight they flinch because there's that here we go again thought and they're sitting there, they're up 11 and on Georgia Tech's 10-yard line. Yeah. They're going to put the game away. And what happens? Keyshawn King fumbles. Georgia Tech recovers. And that's all it took, just like that. And and to make matters worse, Georgia Tech's starting a true freshman quarterback. Its offensive line is all banged up. They're on the road. Virginia Tech, despite the 
incoming five-game losing streak, had a good home crowd there, and still had nothing, nothing for the Jackets late. Yeah, and Georgia Tech, you know, they've had some some nice moments this year, but to me, the, the moment is running out of bounds on the final play of the right like that, right. and yet presented the opportunity by bad offense by Virginia Tech, bad defense by Virginia Tech, bad special teams at times, although they did have a big play in the game. Um, Georgia Tech is able to capitalize, and, and I think if there's a red flag for Tech fans, because I think we expected this to be a rebuilding year, I think expectations were, were pretty mild. Um, but losing close games, uh, making those mistakes in critical moments, uh, to me, that that sometimes can be an indication of what you're getting from the sideline. Um, you know, it's certainly you're having a coach to overcome a, a talent deficiency, but I don't think that was the case in the Georgia Tech game. Um, and I think you hit on it. That, you know, where where is their nerve? Where is that kind of oomph and, and, and um, you know nerves of steel there with the game on the line? We just we just haven't seen it. And, uh, maybe it's something they'll build under Brent Pry, but right now it it just it isn't there. Mike, this is. A litany of Virginia Tech's seven second-half possessions. Final seven possessions. Punt, punt, missed field goal, lost fumble, interception, punt, lost fumble. It's not how you finish games, right? I mean, it's just just brutal. And then on Georgia Tech's game-winning drive, the Hokies have Georgia Tech in a third and 19 on the 45. Brent Pry calls timeout to set the defense, and they give up a 20-yard deep cross for a first down. I mean, how's that happen? And how can you possibly win, right, if that's if, if that's what's going to happen against, again, and I'm not, but Georgia Tech, right? <laughs> this wasn't Clemson. This wasn't Carolina. This wasn't one of the, the better offenses in the ACC. You mentioned it. It's a freshman quarterback, an offense struggling to find an identity that hasn't been great all year, uh, and you can't make that kind of a stop. Uh, again, Virginia Tech had opportunities in all the phases of this game to really finish things off. Uh, yeah, missed just, a four, yeah, missed a forty-yard field goal. Right, and just you know, it's you know, we joke, but complimentary football is supposed to mean the three sides of the ball all working together to win. This felt like all three sides taking their turns helping lose the game. Um, you, you can't have that. So where do they go from here? And, and obviously, I understand they literally go to Durham to play Duke, but uh, you know what's what's left for the Hokies? What do you want to see here down the stretch to, to feel encouraged about the direction of the program? I have no idea what this team's mindset is. You know, two and seven, bowl eligibility is done. You know, this is this will be the first non-COVID season, you know, in, in which they won't go bowling, you know, since early in, in the Beamer tenure. I mean, it's it's truly remarkable. It's it's an unusual times to say the least. I mean, I think the one encouraging spot from Saturday was the true freshman, Tucker Holloway, yeah. you know, sets a program record with 188 punt return yards, including a 90-yarder to the house. But e- even even that is a double-edged sword because that was his second game of the season. He also played against Wofford. So to perver- preserve his red shirt, they can only play him in two more games. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't play – you can't put him back there in all – three remaining games unless you want to you know use a season of eligibility so is is it worth it i i don't know uh, but i i think if you're a virginia tech fan 
you're at Duke, you're at Liberty, where mm. you, know, you know the Flames are sitting there at eight and one. They're in the top twenty. They've just had their two best wins in program history back to back against BYU and at Arkansas. You know, can the, can Virginia Tech get a road win there? I really doubt it, but I, I think you just want to see a pulse and and see them keep playing hard, which they they absolutely are. But man, you want to see some results. Yeah, it is important to play hard, and you don't want to um, overlook that. But it, it would be nice to see them play well <laughs> in addition to that. And you mentioned that closing schedule. And I, I do think the thing that huh, keeps them motivated, keep th- that Virginia game, this is where I think that end of the year game helps both programs, especially in a year like this where they're both struggling. Yeah. Is there is something that your fan base cares about. There is something that your coaches care about. There is something that your alumni care about. There is something that you care about still out there. Um, I would think it for, for Virginia Tech to be all hands on deck uh, in terms of the redshirt stuff in that one. So maybe you, you find a game in between to sit somebody like Holloway. Uh, you know, it's interesting now, where David, we're getting into these these freshmen and these classes that don't have the COVID year to burn. Uh, right. You know, we're, we're so used to saying, well, they always got an extra year because they've got that COVID year. And now that these we're finally getting to see some of these kids who don't have that, that option in, in, in front of them. Uh, Duke, David, has been... I'd say the surprise in the ACC, at least the positive surprise in the ACC. Uh, Mike Elko, the job he's done there, they've been uh, better than expected. A, a huge jump offensively. They've been good defensively. Uh, won some impressive games, certainly what they did to Miami. What do we think? What do we make of, of Tech's chances down in Durham? Well, they're underdogs for a reason. That's for darn sure. And Double having, digit. Yeah. Who, who would have ever thought? Right. Right. Double digit underdog to Duke. Uh, Riley Leonard is, I don't know if, did you watch much of Duke's game Friday night against Boston College? I watched all of it because I'm a glutton for punishment. Right. But did, did you see the segment where they showed some of his basketball highlights? <laughs> and that, Mike Elko's talked about, yeah, recruiting, doing some recruiting, seeing him in the basketball gym. Oh, that cat is an athlete. <laughs> and... <laughs> Not an ACC caliber basketball player, I'm sure, but wow. I mean, he's got hops. He can run. He's big. I mean, and and then to watch him play, you know, that was really my first extended time watching him. And granted, it's BC. That's the worst team in the league. It's a saving grace for Virginia and Virginia Tech. BC's still out there. So they're not the worst teams in the ACC. It's up in Chestnut Hill. but. Riley Leonard's good, and you know, if if Virginia Tech couldn't stop you know Zach Pyron on uh, on Saturday making his first career start, I am not optimistic about their chances against Riley Leonard. That's very reasonable. And, and we opened the show talking basketball. Riley Leonard, you know, who else was a great high school basketball player was Drake May, Ooh. North Carolina, yeah, um, who might have been able to play uh, at that at that level. Uh, They've got some some good basketball players playing quarterback in the ACC right now, but uh, for both of those guys, it looks like they made uh, the right choice. And you know, Virginia, they've got a player that we know what he's capable of at the quarterback position. Um, it just hasn't clicked this year with the new offense, the new style. Saturday, they play North Carolina. They're without their top three wide receivers. They're without their starting running back, and David. I thought they played their best offensive game of the season. They, they scored a touchdown in every quarter. Um, 
They were excellent in the red zone. They ran the football in the red zone. Uh, Four touchdowns there, all in close. They were balanced. 39 runs, 35 passes. Uh, This was the Tony Elliott, Des Kitchings offense uh, that Virginia has been looking for all year. Interesting, I thought, that they kind of put it together in a game where they didn't have all their firepower. Very peculiar. Yeah, I was I was on my way to the Richmond New Hampshire game when you texted me about all the receivers being out for UVA, and then I'm listening to the, the radio broadcast, and it's like Sean Wilson now has five catches. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, who? <laughs> You know, he never caught a pass in a college football game. And all of a sudden, he's he's Armstrong's go-to guy. And uh, it was. It was it was next man up uh, type stuff and, and very impressive. And you mentioned red zone because they were so dreadful mm-hmm. down in close against Miami. And then four out of four touchdowns on Saturday, all encouraging and all in that particular day on the scoreboard for naught because of the aforementioned Drake May and Josh Downs. And oh, by the way, a recurring theme here on the pod, bad clock management. Yeah, we keep seeing it. And, and it's, it's at Tech, it's at UVA, and it really... I'm all for you know guys working their way up. Certainly, Tony Elliott has coached a lot of football. Brent Cry has coached a lot of football. But uh, there's something about clock management for first-time head coaches, uh, and you just can't afford it at the Power Five level. And uh, it's alarming. I know that the the answer is that hey, this is experience. You get that experience, and hopefully, it's not a problem again. But oh boy, David, if we get into the first month of next season and we see these issues, it's it, people are going to be pulling their hair out in Charlottesville and Blacksburg. Mike, not once but twice in the fourth quarter on Saturday, Virginia called timeout on fourth down before punting. Un- un- unbelievable. So when so Brennan Armstrong has that eight-yard touchdown run with, what, three and change, three minutes and change remaining. I mean, he bulldozed, he dump-trucked like three dudes at the goal line, right? I mean, you talk about momentum. That That's what you need. And now you're only down three. You've got momentum. You've got more than three minutes to go. You can kick off. You can stop them. You can use your timeouts. You can get the ball back. You're going to win the damn game. Mm-hmm. But you had no timeouts left. You elect to try a low odds onside kick. Carolina recovers, gets a return off that recovery, gets a first down, victory formation, drive home safely. You know, both of those punt timeouts, my assumption was, because I keep forgetting that they're horrible at clock management, my assumption was they're going to go for it, which I didn't agree with. But why else would you take, just take the five-yard penalty if you're going to punt the ball and keep those timeouts? It was... um, and Tony Elliott, when asked about it, he, he's talked about you know miscommunications and um, things in the organization that need to tighten up. And I mean, that's all well and good. But at this level, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to know how to do that. And you know, what we're prize calling the defense, Elliott has set himself up to be the mm-hmm. one who oversees. He doesn't have those responsibilities, which makes it even more, I think, distressing uh, to see that happen. Now, in terms of the offense, I'm going to give you my theory. I'm curious what you think about this. It felt like for the first time, the offense did what Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings are looking for, um, You know, operated the way they want, 
I wonder if there wasn't an element in the past of, hey, you got Wicks, you got Thompson, you got Davis, you got Brendan Armstrong back there. These guys are, are going to find a way to make it happen. And in this game, you sort of had the humility of your stars are all out. You're playing these receivers like Junior Wilson, uh, Sackett Wood, the tight end, guys who haven't got a ton of burn. There's almost a sense of like, hey, they were 100% bought in to do what's being asked of them because they didn't have any lofty expectations of what they could be. Uh, They kind of went out. They did what they were told. They ran their routes to the depths they were supposed to, with the pace they were supposed to. Armstrong cut the ball loose at the point he was supposed to, delivered it to the spot he was supposed to. And all of a sudden, the thing looked pretty damn good. Were Wicks and Thompson and Davis paying attention? Yeah. (laughs) Well, two of them were there. Davis wasn't even there. We don't know if that was illness or uh, some kind of discipline thing. But um, I will say this for Dontavian Wicks and Keaton Thompson. Both of them were incredibly engaged on the sideline. Uh, Both of them were involved coaching the young receivers, talking with the offense, uh, talking with Brennan. Um, So they certainly played the part of, of very good teammates. To your point, did they look at what was happening and say, hey, we could do that and then make a play after the catch that, that maybe is the next level for that offense? Um, but I really got the vibe that it was a humility that led to buying in and, and doing what was asked. And um, again, like, like I said in the opening of this segment, good balance, good red zone, touchdowns in every quarter. I think we saw a little bit of what they want this offense to be. I agree. And now here comes Pitt and fresh off of really impressive defensive performance, albeit against a backup quarterback uh, in in their victory at Syracuse on Saturday. Pitt's been up and down. Uh, They were without Izzy Abanacanda on Saturday up at the Dome, uh, but but still got Really good rushing production of Bandicanda, I believe, is expected back Saturday uh, against the Cavaliers. So, I I mean, I haven't looked at, at the spread here, Mike. I think this is another close game for UVA. I think it's a game in which they can compete. I don't think Pitt is that superior to the Cavaliers in, in talent. And, you know, hey, no time like the present for the offense. Well, Las Vegas agrees with you. They have Pitt as, as just a four-point favorite in, in this one. We're joined now by Mike Sveditz, general manager of Front Page Bets. Mike joins us each week to give us a little insight into the sports betting side of college football. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always good to talk to you. So let's jump right into it. And, and if you had told me before the year or really at any point in the last five years that Duke was going to be a 10 and a half point favorite against Virginia Tech. Uh, I would think you're holding your notes upside down, uh, but that's the case. The, the Blue Devils have been one of the pleasant surprises in the ACC. The Hokies, well-documented, have struggled. Uh, what do you make of 10 and a half points for the Blue Devils favored over the Hokies? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the way that, that Virginia Tech played and lost to, to Georgia Tech and the way they've struggled all year, only beating one F. CS team or FBS team um, and only one FCS team if we're being honest and I think it's just a it's been a terrible year for the Hokies and so it doesn't surprise me that they're that they're the dogs again 10 and a half you know on the road at Duke you you would never think maybe basketball you would say okay well not, maybe not lately but um you know it just it, it just feels it just feels like the season for Virginia Tech and you know 
two and seven record. Duke, like you mentioned, has been pleasantly surprised at six and three. And, you know, to be honest, you know, Duke's playing pretty well against the spread five and four, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're playing well at home three and one against that, against the spread. And, and tech is, you know, three and six against the spread, but they've only won two games. And, and so, and zero and four on the road and, and, you know, any double digit, you know, especially after this past weekend, you know, I had a lot of road favorites winning and, and, and got, got beat up by Clemson, Alabama and Tennessee all lost, you know, and, and didn't even, you know, it, it just felt like, it just felt like one of those, those spreads in this weekend where you're saying, okay, we, fu- we figure some things out. We're going to take, we're going to take the favor and we're going to take them big here in this game, you know, the favorite by 10 and a half. I don't think that's that's too absurd against the Hokies, considering the way they played. Um, considering you know offensively, you know Tech can't score. You know they're 112th in the in the country in in scoring per game as 20, just over 20 points. You know 119th in yards per game. I, this just is an offense that's just very that's just struggling. And 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 when you go on the road um, and you've had a season like this, and especially when you lose to Georgia Tech and you give up 12 points in the fourth quarter and you kind of choke that one away. You can't you can't be favored. So I think the Blue Devils here um, with the ten and a half, you know, I'd take that. Um, you know, the over under looking at that's fifty and a half. I would keep that under. I would take the under and take the Blue Devils to cover. Sounds good. Then another disappointing team that we get to talk all too much about, <laughs> Virginia. <laughs> Uh, obviously coming off their, their latest uh, disappointment, but uh, they're a four point underdog at home against Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, the Panthers have been a little bit all over the map, kind of hard to predict. What do you make of uh, pit by four in Charlottesville? You know, if, 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 Virginia would have lost to North Carolina by, you know, 20. I would have said, you know, this is, this is about right. And I would be surprised that it was only a four point spread. Virginia showed us something this past weekend. You know, this was kind of the offense that we, we wanted to see all season long. Um, you know, they found something consistently scoring, you know, in each quarter getting a little bit better. Uh, Pitt is one of those teams that's really flummoxed us, especially from the betting perspective. You know, they're only three and six against the spread. Um, you know, they've scored a lot of points. They've hit the over six different times. Um, but, you know, from the way they started to the way the Panthers are playing right now, it's kind of hard to, to pick this team. But Virginia is another one of those teams. Which one's going to show up? And and really, we've only seen Virginia show up in one game this season, and that was last week. I don't know if they can sustain that. If they can, you know, this could be a, this could be a good for Tony. Elliott and kind of taking this team into the back half, you know, to the last fourth of the season and then, you know, uh, in the next year. Uh, but I, I just think Virginia is just a team that you can't trust right now. So Pittsburgh four on the road. I take the Panthers to cover. And again, the under, you know, Virginia can't score either. And I with the over under is 41 and a half. That's about, you know, that's, I think Pittsburgh can score more than half of those points. So I might take the over here in Pittsburgh to cover as well. Sounds good. Well, let's get away from those two uh, less than stellar football teams and and let's get your ACC pick of the week because that's a game that involves two of the better teams in the conference right now. Yeah, we got we got, you know, UNC on the road, North Carolina on the road against Wake. And, you know, I think North Carolina eight and one on the season and wake a little bit disappointing. We're ranked, you know, they've, they, they've struggled, but they, this is a gritty team playing at home. Um, and, and with that point spread right now, I think, you know, wake force is three and a half point favorites over North Carolina. I think that spread opens this way because of the way North Carolina played against Virginia. I think they're a better team than what they showed this past weekend. I think they're be you know, getting three and a half. I like that a lot for the Tar Heels. I like it where they're at. 
eight and one in the season, only one loss. Now with Clemson losing to Notre Dame, I think North Carolina can see a little bit. There's a path to the to the college football playoff. It's very slim, but there might be a path here for North Carolina. They got to take care of business on the road at Wake. I like that. I like the fact that they're dogs. Um, I would definitely take North Carolina here and um, and and ride with uh, with um, Mac Brown and his bunch on the road. Yeah, Mac's been known to lay a few eggs when they're favorites, but as an underdog, I think he's uh, had a pretty decent track record. Should be a good game. Should be a good one to watch. Certainly better than the ones that we'll be more no closely question. monitoring this no coming question. weekend. Well, Mike, thanks as always for joining us. All right, Mike. Thanks, bud. All right. Well, David, the, the biggest blow, I think, to the ACC uh, football uh, goals and aspirations came with Clemson just getting roughed up by Notre Oof. Dame. Um, by a Notre Dame team that, that, granted, is certainly improving as the year goes, but has had some bad losses. This is not a, a prime Notre Dame team. Uh, they blew the doors off Clemson uh, Saturday night. Really uh, a ding for, for Clemson season. Did they end the ACC's hopes of having a college football playoff participant this year? Probably. You know, and if either Clemson or North Carolina runs the table and is 12 and 1 and is a Power 5 conference champion, it will be in the conversation. Now, there will have to be serious, serious carnage elsewhere among some higher ranked opponents in order for a 12 and 1 ACC champion to backdoor its way into the CFP and strangely enough my Carolina might be better positioned than Clemson just given its remaining schedule you know more of a chance to impress the committee now with upcoming games against Wake Forest NC State and then in the in the title game against Clemson what are some of the things if we're going to play this game, what are some of the things that you think would need to happen for the ACC, whether it's Clemson or North Carolina, to, to really have a shot? Because obviously we still have Ohio State, Michigan out there. We still have the SEC title game out there. Uh, if you're an ACC fan, what are you rooting for? Is it as simple as rooting against the, the Big 12 and, and the, and the Pac-12 at this point? Or what that's, are you looking for? That That's certainly part of it. You, you need, you need you know, TCU has to go to Texas this week. You know, do, do, do the Horned Frogs f- fall? And maybe even a, a one-loss TCU is, is, could be in the conversation. Um, but do, does Oregon, some combination of Oregon, Southern California, and UCLA, you know, USC and UCLA have to play one another. Um, so, yeah, you want to root against those conferences. Um, I don't see the Ohio State-Michigan loser getting in at this point. I mean, it's certainly possible. And then, you know, is there some way that the SEC doesn't get to in? I'm I'm not sure that there's going to be a way around that for the committee. Yeah, I think the problem there uh, is Tennessee's remaining schedule. Um, And I think Tennessee's very good. Missouri, certainly feel like they should win that. They go to South Carolina, where Shane Beamer ha- has the Gamecocks uh, bowl eligible. They're at 6-3. and three, uh, And then they end with Vanderbilt, who obviously is, is still Vanderbilt. Right. So three very winnable games left for Tennessee. Um, it seems unlikely they falter. Uh, so yeah, it's <laughs> obviously number one, if you're Clemson, Carolina, take care of business. Go into that ACC title game with some respect, with some clout, with some momentum. Um, 
and then play well in that game, and and, and the winner's got a shot. But uh, it is going to be a lot of scoreboard watching, I think, if you're Jim Phillips and the ACC this year. No question. And Mike, all of a sudden, Saturday's game in Death Valley piques my interest. You know, here comes Louisville, suddenly hot Louisville, you know, already bowl eligible, I believe, and, you know, really playing well. Clemson just got gashed by Notre Dame, gave up 263 rushing yards. DJ Uyunglele looked awful, threw a pick six. They tried to go to Cade Klubnik. He throws a terrible interception, so they immediately put him back on the bench. You know, Clemson's won an ACC record 38 games in a row at home. Could could this be the week where that home winning streak ends? It's going to be really interesting because everybody was down on Louisville early, rightfully so, um, but they have gotten healthy, right? They've gotten their running backs back. And um, Tyon Evans had a 71-yard run, touchdown run against James Madison. I mean, they're, they're our different team than the one that we were kind of talking about putting Scott Satterfield on the hot seat right early in the year. Mm-hmm. This is a different team. And uh, Malik Cunningham, I, th- I thought his game against JMU, because I watched some of that because of James Madison, he was 14 to 20 passing, three touchdowns, no picks. I mean, if he can do that, and they can run the football, which they had two backs go over 100 yards. Uh, Evans and Jordan both were over 100 yards. Uh, that becomes a totally different offense. Um, I think they're starting to find some things defensively. Uh, Louisville, you're, you're right. You bring up a great point. I think Louisville is really dangerous. And you know, right now, the only team in that Atlantic division that isn't bowl eligible is Boston College. Boston College. We've yeah. already talked about that. And uh, in the Coastal, it's it's one more year of, of Coastal uh, – <laughs> I don't know if it's chaos because it looks like North Carolina is comfortable in the driver's seat, but um, coastal disappointment (laughs) for the rest of the the conference. It just uh, has not been a good year. Certainly, Virginia still has a chance to get bowl eligible. They'd have to win out. Uh, Just another ugly year to to close out coastal football, uh, unless maybe North Carolina saves the day by winning out and winning the ACC title game. Yeah, Tar Heels and Louisville have the ACC's two longest winning streaks, Carolina at five. Louisville at four. You know, we're, we were talking about Drake May earlier, Mike. I, I went back and was looking, and you know, I've always known that Carolina hasn't won an ACC football title since 1980. But Drake May, right now, he's your ACC Player of the Year, right? Oh yeah. Okay. He would be Carolina's first ACC football Player of the Year since LT in 1980. <laughs> that's, yes, that's 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 crazy. That's what, especially when you consider, I mean, they've had some really good players in that time. Uh, that is a wild, wild statistic. But it's it's been a, you know, it's funny. You and I joke about, you know, Mac Brown and Carolina kind of waiting for them to lay that egg, you know, waiting for, but to their credit, hadn't happened yet. Uh, I know they lost to Notre Dame, but they haven't had that game where they come out and you're just like, Ugh, that, that was a win that they should have had and just threw it away. And there's still some football left to be played, but could be a really special year. Uh, down in Chapel Hill. I, I'm sure for their fans, it's been a lot of fun. And we hope today's been a lot of fun for you. So thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Don't forget to vote today and please 
Join David and me again next week.